Today, President Bush called for an end to the ban on offshore drilling and exploration. Senator John McCain agrees we'll ask an expert if this is the way to lower gas prices. And are conservatives happier, more generous, and more honest than liberals? Do they hug their children more? We'll talk to a researcher who has the proof the answer is yes. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Come on, America. Let's strike oil. All right, that's Congressman Sam Johnson from Texas. Let's strike oil. Everybody is talking about this today up and down the country. Why? Because gas is over $4 a gallon, some places approaching $5 a gallon. Everyone's saying that probably by the end of the summer we will see that $5 a gallon price across the board. Now, how's this going to happen? Here's Congressman Ted Poe. Americans think we are held hostage by OPEC and dictator Chavez for our crude oil. But the real culprit is Congress. Congress holds the keys to freedom from OPEC and the little dictator, but will not unlock the big door to independence. All right, President Bush got out there today and said, look, it's time to drill at Anwar. It's time to drill offshore. We're going to talk to an expert in a minute, Penna, from the Competitive Enterprise Institute, about drilling offshore, drilling in Alaska. Will that make the difference? Also, I interviewed Senator John Cornyn today. We're going to hear from him later in the program about this controversy. Also, uh, who works harder? That's a great question. Liberals or conservatives? Who gives away more of their time, more of their money? Who's happier? Who's healthier? Well, Peter Schweitzer from the Hoover Institution out there at Stanford University has the research. He says conservatives come down better on all these questions and others, and he's also got some reasons why he thinks this makes sense, so he'll join us later in the program. All right, with this high gas prices... You know, can you afford to go on vacation? And is it going to get worse before it gets better? Can I you think, afford to drive to work? Yeah, John McCain changing his tune, really. Here he is saying the government needs to allow the states to decide whether to drill offshore. The broad federal moratorium stands in the way of energy exploration and production. And I believe it is time for the federal government to lift these restrictions and to put our own reserves to use. All right, and here's McCain one more time saying we don't need to be dependent on these other countries for oil. Our petrodollars are underwriting tyranny, anti-Semitism, the brutal repression of women in the Middle East, and dictators and criminal syndicates in our own hemisphere. All right, does it make sense to drill 
off the coast, in Alaska as well, will it make a difference? With us to talk about it, Marlo Lewis, Senior Fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Marlo Lewis holds the Ph.D. from Harvard University. Welcome to the program, Dr. Lewis. Nice to be with you, Jerry. All right. How should we think about this? Uh, will it make a difference to drill offshore, to drill in Anwar? Well, uh, yes, it will make a difference. It will, it will certainly help, you know. Um, the, the, the reason why gasoline prices have shot up so high so fast is that the demand for gasoline is what the economists call very inelastic, which means that um, if the price of it goes up a little bit, people will not reduce their consumption by any appreciable amount. Even if the price goes up a lot, it only results in a small decrease in consumption. And the reason is there is no substitute for automobiles for most purposes. I mean, you just, most people cannot commute to work by walking or riding horses or riding their bicycles. So it's just something you've got to do, and you will make almost any sacrifice uh, with your family budget or in or cutting corners in other parts of your life in order to keep driving because you it's simply a necessity of life in the modern world and so that's why if there is a small shortfall um, between uh, the rate at which demand grows and the weight rate at which supply grows you're going to have huge spikes in the price of gasoline and so um, one of the things that has restrained the supply, that has kept the supply uh, of gas, gasoline, which comes from oil, uh, from rising to meet the rising demand in the world, are these self-imposed, self-inflicted wounds that our Congress has slapped on the U.S. energy industry. It has basically put gigantic oil reserves off limits so that we can't develop them. Now, it is quite true that it takes years to, mm -hmm. to, to, from right. the, the start of a, of a project to the actual realization of oil, which is why we should have done this 15 years ago instead of putting these moratoria, these bans, on our oil production 15 years ago. Dr. Lewis, uh, before we talk more about that, I want to get one argument out of the way. I want you to hear this congressman, Ed Perlmutter from Colorado, and he's saying, look, there are millions of acres out there that uh, are not being used now. There are 68 million, million acres under lease for oil production not being used, being hoarded, being kept out of the market. It's a red herring to say we need to drill more. Dr. Lewis, that is the liberal uh, cry today when everybody else is saying we need to drill in Alaska, drill off the coast. They're saying, wait a minute, uh, we're not drilling uh, right now in other places uh, where folks are permitted to drill. What's your response to that? Well, first of all, we're, we're not permitted to drill in a lot of those places. There was a provision slipped into uh, uh, the, the omnibus spending bill last year that basically um, uh, prevented uh, the development of oil from oil shale. I mean, we have something like 800 billion barrels uh, of, of potential oil reserves in shale out in the uh, the Rocky Mountain region. Colorado. Yeah. And, uh, and then also, you know, uh, I mean, just because it might on paper look like you can you can drill for oil somewhere. There are all kinds of bureaucratic hoops that you have to jump through, and there are litigation challenges that can block it. And, uh, 
you know, the, the, the thing is that, that Congress has put most of our, of our energy reserves off limits for, uh, for production and development. And the other thing is that at the same time, these guys are trying to enact what they call cap-and-trade bills, in other words, a Kyoto-style energy rationing scheme for the United States. And, and uh, you know, this, in this case, I mean, John McCain is, uh, is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He may, not, he may not realize that he's contradicting himself, but there is no way that you can encourage domestic oil production and at the same time say that you're going to have a cap-and-trade program, the whole purpose of which is to restrict fossil energy consumption by making it more expensive, and that includes gasoline, you know. And, uh, and, so, and you have, you have uh, uh, presidential candidates like Hillary Clinton, who, was, who uh, decried these terribly high gasoline prices and, and, and high energy prices. Similarly, Barbara Boxer, who's the chairman of the Senate, Environment Public Works Public Works Committee condemning high energy prices, and yet both of them out there calling for cap and trade bills. The whole point of which, the, which they're very, they're designed to make all energy more expensive and less affordable to consumers. And um, so, I mean, I'm really glad that President Bush finally um, is talking this way. But even in the speech where he calls for lifting the moratoria. Uh, on on oil development, he still is saying that we're addicted to oil. Now, you know, isn't an addiction something that people are supposed to break? Isn't an addiction something that's bad? And how can you break an addiction by increasing your intake of the thing that you're addicted to? So even President Bush is hopelessly conflicted. We are not addicted to oil. We are no more addicted to oil than our forefathers were addicted to horse fodder. <laughs> we depend on oil the way they depended on horse fodder because we value mobility. Mobility is a good thing. You know, the rocks and the trees don't move, but animals move and people move even more than animals. You know, and, uh, and if you're theologically inclined, I suppose the angels move even more than people. <laughs> you know, mobility is a good thing, all right? And, and for mo- mobility, we need, we need energy. Dr. And Lewis, so let me jump in for a minute. find something that's better than oil, we'll switch to that in a heartbeat. On that that's note. That's how little we're addicted to it. On that note, Dr. Lewis and Marlo Lewis from the Competitive Enterprise Institute is with us. You hear uh, Barack Obama, of course, he is against more drilling, and he wants to tax the oil companies more. But he says that the solution is alternative energy, which we have put money into. Uh, But is that even fair for him to say that there has been no breakthrough that's going to give us an immediate drop in oil prices? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. What, uh, the, when we have, when, when, uh, when alternative energies can outperform gasoline uh, in, in terms of, you know, utility, but also price, then there will be a massive switch to alternative energy and not a moment before. And when we try to mandate a switch to alternative energies, what we get is, is the situation we have now where we're burning food in gas tanks, the ethanol problem, and which is contributing to high food prices, which is contributing to starvation and malnutrition or, uh, in, in developing countries, and it has done nothing that I can see to reduce the price of gasoline. In fact, 
if you look at the American Automobile Association's website, they have a daily fuel gauge, that's what it's called, where they compare the price of gasoline and ethanol. And when you take into account the fact that ethanol has 30% less energy by volume than gasoline, and so it, get, it gets less miles to the gallon by volume than gasoline, even today, ethanol is more expensive than gasoline. I mean, government cannot simply wave a wand and tell, you know, and, and tell people to, uh, to, to start using miracle fuel. I mean, yeah. technology has to develop the fuel first. It's, you know, I mean, government didn't, ha- didn't put a cap or a tax on horses to, to get us to, to, to shift to the, from the horsepower age to the automobile age. Dr. Lewis, we're running short on time. Right. I actually want to go back to the president's speech. You mentioned that a moment ago. I want you to listen to this opening statement because, you know, everybody is criticizing him now, uh, particularly the Congress and so forth. Uh, but he had some policies early on six years ago that he proposed. He talks about it right now. So my administration has repeatedly called on Congress to expand domestic oil production. Unfortunately, Democrats on Capitol Hill have rejected virtually every proposal. And now Americans are paying the price at the pump for this obstruction. I want to ask you here in about 30 seconds to, to really respond to that. Isn't it true that the president asked Congress to drill in Anwar, Congress to drill offshore six years ago? They voted it down. He did do that. <clears throat> he did do that. But then he got cold feet around 2006 <laughs> right. and said we were addicted to oil. Right. And then all that kind of brave talk about produ- you know, producing more oil um, sort of um, went out the window, and instead he called for his 20 and 10 program, which was to substitute ethanol for oil. And now he's finally woken up to the fact that, gee, you know, really the only way to increase, the, the only way to reduce oil prices is to increase the supply. And so I was right, I, I was right at the start. I mean, he sort of lost yeah. Courage of his he quit pushing. Now he's regained them. The global warming people intimidated him, but uh, the price of gas has re-energized him. Thank you, Dr. Lewis. We hope to have you back sometime. Okay, thank you so much for having me. All right, when we come back, are Christians uh, sad and pouty? Are conservatives unhappy, sad, tightwads? Are they generous? Are they happy? Are they joyful? You'll be surprised at the answers. Our expert will give. Who works harder, conservatives or liberal? Who gives away more, conservatives or liberals? You'll find out when we come back. It's Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. And don't forget, Senator Cornyn coming up later. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. He wants a windfall profits tax on oil. To go along with the new taxes, he also plans for coal and natural gas. Okay, that's John McCain. We were just talking about the high gas prices. And in spite of these high prices, Barack Obama wanting to put taxes on the oil companies will just raise the prices more on gas, actually. But that is a liberal idea. And uh, I'm a conservative. Obama is what you would call a liberal. And here's the question. Who's happier, conservatives or liberals? Uh, Who's more generous, conservative or liberal? Uh, Who's more loving, conservative or a liberal? And I think um, the answer might surprise some people. Well, you know, Dr. Johnson, it's just sort of tying these things together. He's talking about these windfall profit taxes, taxing the oil companies, and then giving it to people to pay their high gas and oil prices. The liberals want to tax you, and they want to give the money to who they think needs it, and that's because they say (laughs) they're more compassionate. Well, our next guest is going to give us the real truth on some of these issues. He is Peter Schweitzer. He is a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. He has written so many wonderful books. I've interviewed him over the years. I remember especially one book, uh, Reagan's War. Mm. And uh, now this new book is just causing a lot of buzz uh, around uh, the media, Makers and Takers, Why Conservatives Work Harder, Feel Happier, Have Closer Families, Take Fewer Drugs, Give More Generously, (laughs) Value Honesty More, Are Less Materialistic and Envious, Wine Less and even hug their children more than liberals. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I am out of breath with the title of your book. <laughs> all right. We've eaten up all the time now. We've got to go, right? Well, let's keep going because I want to ask you some of these questions. First of all, I'm seeing that you've got all kinds of statistics. Here's one. 57% of those who describe themselves as very liberal say it's okay to cheat on your taxes. 20% of very conservative say uh, it's okay to cheat on your taxes. So uh, here's number one. Are liberals more dishonest than conservatives? Well, I think liberal ideas encourage dishonesty, and it goes to a very fundamental reason. Um, Modern liberals are much more accepting of the notion that truth is relative. Conservatives are much more likely to say that there are absolute rights and absolute wrongs, and we can know the truth. Sometimes we have difficulty discovering it, but we can know the truth. Liberals think truth is relative, and the problem is it leads to this mindset that if truth is relative, honesty is subjective. So in all of these questions where they ask, is it okay to cheat on your spouse? Is it okay to cheat on your taxes? Is it okay to cheat on a college exam? Is it okay to take money that doesn't belong to you? Liberals are much more accepting of that behavior because their belief system says, you know, there's kind of a different, you know, borrowing and stealing, that's, you know, that's sort of a, a blurred line. So they're much more accepting of that behavior because the, the, they embrace the notion of relative truth. Peter, it's Jerry Johnson here. Let me ask another question. I'm thinking that, uh, you know, conservatives are caricatured as the tight wads, the skin flints. And uh, let's, uh, you've done some research here on, uh, say, Rush Limbaugh versus Nancy Pelosi, or let's say Barack Obama versus George Bush. Who is giving more to charity, to the poor, and so forth? Well, that's a very good question, Dr. Johnson. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming. Uh, the studies show that. Um, 
uh, sort of the average ordinary Americans, not celebrities, that conservatives are more generous in the charities they give to, they're more generous with their time, and that they tend to give to different charities. Uh, conservatives tend to give to charities designed to help people, uh, things like the Salvation Army, for example. Liberals are much more likely to give to cultural institutions, like, for example, the Museum of Modern Art. And when you look at, for example, Rush Limbaugh compared to Nancy Pelosi, the uh, Speaker of the House, yeah. uh, very liberal Democrat from San Francisco, Rush Limbaugh's uh, tax filings for his charity list things like hospice care, uh, people that have medical problems, uh, people that um, uh, have been children that have been orphaned uh, because their parents uh, have, have been killed. Wow. Uh, it's a list of helping individuals in need. When you look at Nancy Pelosi's charity, now this is her own tax filing, you see that the contributions go almost completely to the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, uh, to a prep school, a elite prep school in San Francisco, to an animal rights organization, wow. uh, to universities. There's an occasional $1,000 check to the Boys and Girls Club, but that's basically it. Mm. And again, I think the culprit here is liberal teaching, which says taking care of the poor is the government's responsibility. I don't have to worry about it. You know, this is backed up by another guest we've had, Arthur Brooks, who talks yep. about even Christians give more, and it's not necessarily to Christian causes. They just give more to charity. So you guys are on the same page there. But I also want to ask you about uh, the type of parents liberals and conservatives are. I mean, you're not saying liberals are bad parents, but you do say they hug their kids more. What do you mean by that? <laughs> There was actually a study done uh, by a professor at Princeton University and another at Mississippi State. It, it appeared in an uh, academic journal where they analyzed and, and did a study on interactions. Uh, they surveyed a lot of people on interactions they had with their children. And what they found is that conservative parents uh, disciplined their children more, spanked them more, but they also hugged them more, and they also engaged in more nurturing uh, emotional conversations. Uh, and what you find is, is on a lot of the statistics and a lot of the research is that conservative families tend to be closer. Siblings report that they're more trusting of their fellow siblings if they're in a conservative home. They're more likely to report that their parents are close. Uh, and when children leave the home, the children of conservatives are much more likely to stay in touch on a regular basis by telephone and by email, etc. And I think what this shows is that for all the talk about family values, it actually does influence behavior. Wow. Obviously, there are some conservative families that are not so healthy, and there are some liberal ones that are, but the data is pretty clear that the conservatives tend to do much better. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest, Peter Schweitzer, he's written the book, Makers and Takers, Why Conservatives Work Harder, Feel Happier, Have Closer Family, Take Fewer Drugs, on and on it goes. But, Peter, i got to just pull back for a minute because a lot of people hear these comparisons, and they do have uh, a cartoon image in mind or a caricature of a conservative uh, conventional wisdom about a grumpy conservative. And I, I'd like to ask you this question, because in all of this sampling and polling and this research, uh, what would be your definition of a conservative? If conservatives have a better life and liberals do not generally, uh, as a rule, how would you define the conservative? Well, that's a good question. In, in all of these studies, of course, people are identifying themselves where they would put themselves. So nobody's affixing a label to them. This is the label they're giving themselves. But I think there are a couple of things that, that are clearly dividing lines, and it goes to the issue of happiness. It goes to the issue of contentment. Number one is, what's the center of your world? 
Modern liberalism places the individual themselves at the center of the world. This is the reason why they tend to be more self-focused, self-aware, they believe the truth is relative, uh, they embrace the notion that it's about me feeling good, and this is, I think, one of the reasons they're chron chronically dissatisfied, because they never sort of live up to that expectation. Conservatives tend to look somewhere else, uh, to God. They tend to believe that truth and, and happiness and principles come from something beyond me. Uh, and I think that that creates this sense of not just having rights, which uh, liberals very much always talk about rights, but conservatives also believe you have to balance that with responsibility. Um, so I think those are the big dividing lines in terms of, of the orientation of where they get their values and I their ideas, but also how they view the way in which a person should live their lives, conservatives believing that responsibility is such a big part of that equation. Peter, I know you say that uh, conservatives are happier according to studies and conservatives are actually less materialistic and they actually do more for the poor and the unfortunate uh, themselves. Uh, they don't expect government to do as much. Is there anything, when you analyze all of this, about uh, conservatives being uh, more religious and more faithful and having the notion of original sin, that people are sinners, does that partially explain your findings, do you think? Yes, it does. Um, no, that's a very good point. Uh, you find out that, number one, conservatives are two and a half times more likely uh, to believe uh, that uh, good and evil exists, that, that there are things in the world that are good and there are things in the world that are evil. Uh, you know, again, liberals embrace this notion of relativism. So, you know, it's, it's all kind of relative. Well, you know, you, Dr. Johnson, may think this is evil and I may think it's good, so they're both equally right. Uh, so that, I think, is, is a very clear uh, dividing line. I also think that when it comes to this issue of, uh, of contentment, um, you know, there is within modern liberalism a very strong sense of entitlement, uh, a very strong sense also that people are victims. Uh, one uh, professor calculates that 342% of the American people are victims, which means all of us have at least three things <laughs> that we can claim as victim status. Well, if you embrace the notion that we are all victims, it's going to make you whine and complain about life. Uh, whereas if you have the orientation that, uh, you know, we get, uh, these are gifts from God, we are given these blessings, it creates a sense of gratitude and contentment. Peter, you've already started that answer. I'm going to ask you this question. You're sitting on an airplane. You've got a minute to talk to someone who's a liberal about why they ought to be a conservative. What would you tell them? Well, what I would tell them is, based on the research, is that modern liberalism oftentimes brings out the worst in people. Uh, that's what the data shows. Certainly <laughs> there are exceptions. I'm not putting all people in one right. camp. Uh, but uh, and modern conservatism brings out oftentimes the best in people. It says you've got to balance rights with responsibilities. It says you need to not so much think about yourself. You need to think about others and about civic responsibility. And it's going to give you contentment and peace that you're not going to have because modern liberalism promotes the sense of victimhood, the sense of entitlement. And also, by the way, it, in it encourages envy. Uh, the studies show that liberals are two and a half times more likely to be envious of the success of other people. And and certainly that's a destructive force as well. Peter Schweitzer has written the book, Makers and Takers. And, Peter, we thank you for being with us. We hope to have you back again sometime. It was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. All right, folks, the Bible says godliness is profitable in this life and in the life to come. It's not just about heaven and hell. Godliness is profitable in the here and now. Of course, Proverbs says the way of the transgressor is hard. Sinning and liberalism lead to a hard kind 
of a life. Coming up next, Senator John Cornyn interviewed today an exclusive interview here on gas prices, Iraq, gay marriage, Gitmo. You don't want to miss this interview. Coming up next, Senator John Cornyn. He came down off the bench after doing his time. He fought heathens and hellions and all kinds of crime. He was just getting started and a long ways to go. We sent him to Washington to the really big show, Big John. Big Bad John. The Senate wasn't ready, said pay your dues. That John sits it down, friend. I got some big news. You see, I'm from Texas, where we do things quick, and the way this place is run's about to make me sick. Big John. Big Bad John. Big Bad John Corn, and that's the beginning of his uh, TV ad. Uh, we found it on his website, and, and of course, it's a takeoff of that old song, Big Bad John. Earlier today, Dr. Johnson had the opportunity to interview U.S. Senator John Cornyn of Texas. Of course, at one time, he was Attorney General of the state. He's now Senator. Uh, he was elected to the Senate in 2002. He also serves on the Republican Senate leadership uh, team, and uh, he stood strong on many issues that Christians and conservatives have felt were important. For instance, the issue of uh, confirming President Bush's judges, uh, the issue of uh, keeping marriage between mo- one man and one woman, and lots of other things. And uh, I think it would be a good time now to go ahead and listen to that interview that Dr. Johnson did with Senator John Cornyn. Welcome to the program, Senator. Well, thanks, Jerry. Great to be with you. All right. Let's talk about these gas prices, Senator Cornyn. What do we need to do? The president is talking about some drilling today. What is the solution? Well, Congress needs to get out of the way to uh, allowing development of more of America's uh, natural resources right here at home. You know, we're the only country really in the world that I know of that has uh, basically put those natural resources, oil and gas, out of bounds by law and it um, ends up uh, depending on imported oil from uh, the Middle East and other uh, countries that are unfriendly to the United States like Venezuela. So we could lift a, uh, the moratorium that have been issued on these lands in the outer continental shelf in the west and in, in, in Alaska and produce as much as 3 million additional barrels of oil a day here in America, and uh, that'd be 3 million less than we would have to uh, import from abroad. You know, Senator, I noticed everybody wants to drill somewhere else, but it's tough to make the decision when it's close to home. How do you think Texans feel about the idea of these these rigs off the coast? Are they going to be out of sight? How far out would they be? What could the impact be to our coastline? Well, the best example of, of how this can be done in a way that really doesn't uh, have much of an impact on, on folks on land is uh, – a area we opened up in the Gulf of Mexico a couple of years ago called Lease Sale 181. This is uh, actually deep water exploration about 300 miles off of the Texas coastline. And uh, Texas receives some portion of the royalties uh, that we can use for beach, beach uh, replenishment and uh, infrastructure 
then you know so it provides an additional incentive uh, for that uh, production. But modern drilling technology is such that uh, in places like Fort Worth, for example, when you land at DFW Airport, you can actually see drilling rigs on the airport property where they're producing gas from the Barnett Shale there. And so modern technology will allow this to happen in a way that's compatible with uh, other things, including uh, a good environment. Well, the politicians sometimes don't uh, see the light till they feel the heat, and I hope that these prices will encourage your colleagues to join you. Let's move on to another issue in the news, Senator Cornyn. We've got uh, the Supreme Court coming down with this decision uh, regarding the legal rights of terrorists. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? Uh, how can we fix this? Well, as you know, uh, Jerry, the, the courts, uh, particularly when they take a it upon themselves basically to substitute their views for that of the elected representatives of the people can get into some trouble and they have here in this uh, d- particular decision uh, unfortunately uh, over the over the past years since uh, 9/11 uh, the courts and the congress have been trying to figure out how consistent with our values uh, we and our national security we should treat these so-called uh, unlawful combatants, those are terrorists who don't wear a uniform, who don't uh, observe a chain of command, and who don't observe uh, the laws of, of war and, and armed combat. Um, and basically they kill civilians to uh, uh, pursue their agenda. Well, we need to not only, we learned a lesson on 9-11 that we can't just treat it as a criminal matter because criminal laws are designed to punish people after they've done something bad. And frankly, we want to try to save lives by preventing these terrorist activities. So that's why getting intelligence from these uh, detainees is so important and the like. Unfortunately, I think this is an example of the courts sort of uh, stepping into an area that they don't frankly know a whole lot about. I mean, they're not uh, experts in uh, in uh, national security. Uh, this is a, a responsibility under our Constitution of uh, of the executive branch. Uh, to conduct wars, and basically I think they're going to create a lot of problems and have created a lot of problems and potentially uh, require the release of terrorists uh, uh, who can uh, kill again, and I think it's a a very serious problem. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live, our guest, U.S. Senator John Cornyn. He is a member of the Armed Services Committee. Uh, Senator, I'd like to move on just a moment to, uh, to Iraq and Afghanistan you serve on these key committees for defense. What do we need to know about what's happening right now in Iraq? Well, I was last back in Iraq and Afghanistan in, in January, and I will tell you that over time, since I first went there in 2003, uh, things have gotten uh, remarkably better in Iraq. Uh, the new strategy uh, that General Petraeus has undertaken to help uh, protect the, the civilian population to go after the bad actors and the uh, the foreign fighters that have uh, tried to create a, a veritable civil war in Iraq, uh, the bad guys are losing and the good guys are winning. And uh, what that means is we're going to be able to continue to draw down our own troops, uh, but not leave a power vacuum that can then be occupied by terrorists, but rather allow the Iraqis the chance to rebuild their country and to govern and defend themselves. Uh, Afghanistan's a little bit more of a challenge. As you know, that uh, NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, a number of different countries are working to try to defeat the Taliban and deny uh, uh, al-Qaeda operating grounds. Uh, But I think what you'll see over time is as we draw down our troops from Iraq, we may need to beef up uh, 
some of our presence in Afghanistan because we found out what happens on 9-11 when we ignore uh, problems, uh, you know, and hope that they'll stop at our shoreline. But uh, we found out that they won't and that uh, these, these folks who subscribe to a radical ideology that celebrates the murder of innocent civilians will come after us here even at home. All right, Senator Corner, I want to shift gears again. Let's go out to California. We had the so-called gay marriages uh, this week. Uh, are we going to need now to protect Texas and other states? Are we going to need a constitutional amendment uh, to define marriage? What's your view there? Well, I support a federal marriage amendment. I did uh, when Massachusetts uh, passed its uh, its or its courts struck down its uh, uh, ban on uh, same-sex marriage. And, uh, of course, you know, that, that was not successful. Uh, many people at the time said, well, it's just an isolated event. that's no threat of it spreading to other states. But now we've seen what's happened in uh, California. We've seen what's happened now in, in New York with the governor basically issuing an executive order uh, allowing uh, same-sex marriages to occur. This is really something that is not a decision that should be made by unelected judges. This is something that uh, should be decided upon by the people. And frankly, I think uh, people, if they were permitted an opportunity to vote, would uh, say that uh, marriage between a man and a woman is in the best interests of of, uh, families and uh, certainly uh, the best situation in which to raise and nurture children. Uh, But unfortunately, we have some judges who've taken this upon themselves and denied people the opportunity to express themselves through the ballot box. Mm. Well, we hope that we can get that kind of an amendment. Final question, Senator Cornyn. Uh, this is a Christian radio station, and uh, we, we've been concerned about the so-called fairness doctrine, which has been proposed. I mean, we have Republicans and Democrats, liberals, conservatives. We have atheists on this program and believers. We have our own sort of equal-time policy here. But uh, do you think this concept of the government regulating what's on there, do you think this is constitutional? Well, I really don't. We still have a First Amendment uh, that uh, protects free speech, and I, I believe it's important to have a diversity of views expressed. I think it's a bad idea for the government to try to regulate right, right. Uh, the, the messages. So I'm, I'm certainly oppose the so-called fairness doctrine. But Jerry, I have to say that they must have some uh, some group of people up here in Washington D.C. who dream up names of this legislation <laughs> that actually is the opposite of what it yeah. what it does because this is really an unfairness doctrine. Senator John Cornyn from Texas, we want to thank you for serving our state and our country. We'll thank you for being on today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jerry. It's a great opportunity that we had to get in touch with Senator John Cornyn of Texas. Uh, he makes some common sense on some very important issues. And uh, he has served us well for the last six years in the United States Senate, and we are just very grateful for the time that he gave to Dr. Johnson today. Ladies and gentlemen, in the next segment, uh, we are going to continue to talk about this whole issue of oil. It's very interesting because on this program, we do talk a lot about the global warming wars and the idea that uh, there are folks in the government who would like to uh, change our policies to get rid of that uh, well, non-problem in many people's minds. That whole debate may change now because of this publicity and really uh, concern over oil prices. So maybe that's a good thing in a sense. We're going to talk about these issues, get some more from President Bush and John McCain right after this. As the sun rose on the Pecos, the big clock it had burned. Six years darted by. Is it another man's turn? Don't think that big, Johnny. We're sending you back. 
You're doing the Lord's work for Texas, and we got your back. We'll call folk. We'll hustle. We'll outwork our foe. We'll tell souls in Texas you must get six mo. But that place out yonder needs more men like you who shoot straight and talk straight and enjoy a good brew. Big John. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Congress must face a hard reality. Unless members are willing to accept gas prices at today's painful levels or even higher, our nation must produce more oil. And we must start now. It's amazing how politics and an election coming up clarifies everybody's thinking. That's President Bush really getting back on message, a message that uh, he conveyed years ago that uh, we need to drill in some of our areas where we have oil. He called for this today in the Rose Garden. It's also true that the environmental movement, who was actually looking towards some advances on its global warming agenda, has suddenly found itself on the defensive uh, because of these high gas prices. The political climate is shifting. There may be less of an emphasis coming out of the administration now on some sort of an expensive fix for global warming because that would certainly raise these prices that they're trying to uh, figure out a way to lower. President Bush calling on Congress to open up the large offshore areas to drilling now. We should expand American oil production by increasing access to the Outer, outer Continental Shelf, or OCS. Experts believe that the OCS could produce about 18 billion barrels of oil. That would be enough to match America's current oil production for almost 10 years. The problem is that Congress has restricted access to key parts of the OCS since the early 1980s. Since then, advances in technology have made it possible to conduct oil exploration in the OCS that is out of sight, protects coral reefs and habitats, and and protects against oil spills. What President Bush did not say is that uh, the executive branch, many presidents since the 80s, have also issued executive orders stopping this drilling. And he has not exactly rescinded the executive order that has been issued by his administration. He's waiting for Congress because he wants Congress to act first. Uh, Gasoline, of course, topping $4 a gallon. It's getting more and more expensive for all of us to fill our tanks. And again, President Bush uh, urging Congress to lift uh, its ban on 
drilling uh, in Anwar and also offshore. And uh, he says there's no longer a reason to continue these uh, congressional restrictions. With these advances and a dramatic increase in oil prices, congressional restrictions on OCS exploration have become outdated and counterproductive. Here's one of the Democrats, Peter DeFazio from Oregon. There's 20 years supply out there underneath their idle leases that could double our domestic production. And plain and simple, they haven't developed it. All right. They can't argue against the fact uh, that we need to drill domestically. This has been uh, the mantra, really, uh, for 20 years that we need to get more energy independence. But the only really issue they have, and it was pretty much debunked by our guests uh, earlier in the program, was that there are some leases out there that aren't being fully used. There's a lot more on that, though, uh, as, uh, as to how easy it is to get the oil out from under those leases. And it's not an argument against opening up offshore areas and also in Anwar. Well, uh, John McCain has actually changed his tune on this issue. He stood against this drilling. He still stands against drilling in Anwar. Uh, But he says now some of these offshore areas should be opened up. And uh, here's John McCain saying that the government needs to allow, actually, this is in Houston, Texas, he's criticizing Barack Obama and his energy proposals. He wants a windfall profits tax on oil. To go along with the new taxes, he also plans for coal and natural gas. All right, it's a good campaign issue. He needs to go further because John McCain is uh, talking out of both sides of his mouth when he is pushing a uh, government fix for global warming that will raise uh, gas prices. Of course, the windfall profits tax, taxing the oil companies for something that we want to lower the price on just doesn't make economic sense. Here's John McCain again saying Barack Obama is just recycling failed ideas from Jimmy Carter in the 70s. If the plan sounds familiar... It's because that was President Jimmy Carter's big idea, too. Is it okay for a presidential candidate to change his mind? He's certainly going to have his uh, former positions brought back to him. Even the Wall Street Journal today saying, Behold a miracle. Public anger over $4 gas is forcing at least some of our political class to confront their energy contradictions. Uh, Now, there are a couple of uh, Republicans who've actually stood against drilling. Jim Walsh of New York and also also Roscoe Bartlett of uh, Maryland. They are longstanding opponents. of offshore drilling, uh, but they are now changing their positions. John McCain changed his position, and this, of course, was a speech in Houston where he made this uh, cry and call coming out in favor of uh, increasing domestic energy supplies. And many people are saying, of course, that it will take a long time to get this oil. But there are others who are saying that just the idea and the knowledge that that's coming is going to change uh, the uh, the purchase of some of these energy futures and the price of oil will just come down uh, specifically on that. And we'll have to have an economic expert on that later. Uh, but uh, oil, of course, $135 uh, a barrel is now a very powerful uh, political motivator for these folks. And uh, John McCain saying that we must drill for more domestic oil, that it's really a matter of fairness to the American people. And I want to kind of contrast this with Barack Obama's position, because Obama has said even this week that he does not want more drilling because of the environment. Of course, environmentalists are the ones that have stopped us uh, in the past 20 years from opening up more domestic drilling and more domestic oil production. But Obama has said 
that uh, we need alternative fuels. And we've been trying to find some alternatives that would be cheaper than oil, or at least on a par with using oil. And so far, we haven't been able to find this. And as our guest earlier in the program said, we are now actually burning food and raising food prices uh, in this effort to find alternative fuels. It's not an immediate answer. Yes, it may be an answer down the line, but it's not an immediate answer. And uh, I think that the politicians are now having to sort of pull in all the facts and realize that something immediate has to be done. There has to be an answer. And what's the answer? We're sitting on it in this country. And it's just crazy to leave off limits nearly half of the proven reserves uh, of the entire United States, even in Anwar. And I think John McCain may even have to uh, come to some sort of common sense on that one later. Uh, But he did propose to open up most of the Atlantic and Pacific coasts to development so long as uh, the nearby states are in favor. And it's also very interesting that uh, Governor uh, Christ in Florida, who has also been against drilling, along with Governor Schwarzenegger, two states where there's a lot of offshore oil, has changed his tune. Now, he may be gunning for a vice presidential slot. Uh, He's been named as one of the VP picks for Senator McCain. But he today also came out and said he will now support drilling. Of course, his legislature has to be the one to actually approve it. Uh, But that's sort of an interesting development, too. But, um, you know, is it okay for uh, a senator, a presidential candidate, to change his mind uh, for political reasons? Well, it's political reasons, and it's also common sense. And I think there are times when people can be teachable. Let's hope that uh, Senator McCain is teachable. In fact, even in the book of Proverbs, it says, give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Let's just hope that's the case with John McCain. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.